You know, it's been said, a little bit of hope is a dangerous thing. You ever heard that before? A little bit of hope is a dangerous thing. Why is that so? I think part of it is because with hope, we get our expectations so fueled and we have such a great hope and expectation that something's going to happen that when it doesn't happen, we feel drastically and dramatically let down. For example, my Tar Heels played last night. And late in the game, it looked like they were finally going to pull it off. My hope soared only to be let down. It happens with our sports teams from time to time. Hope also can be a dangerous thing with something like disaster recovery. The hurricane has come through, and as Al mentioned, down in Florida and many other places, the hurricane has left people in, in just ravaged areas and homes and families and businesses and drops untold amounts of water on our area, not to mention the wind damage. One of our members, Greg Riggs, is involved with our Baptist on Mission and has been stationed throughout different parts with uh, our feeding trucks and helping out and our volunteers. And many of you have gone down already and we're looking to, to plan some other trips to go down and uh, minister there in the Lumberton area. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And uh, it's always a great way to go and volunteer and to give back. But, but Greg tells a story uh, of, of uh, encountering a man recently who said, you know, a couple of years ago when the hurricane came through, uh, we had a great hope. And we knew that there was going to be a rebuilding of our homes in our area. And, and just when things have started to, to settle down, along comes Hurricane Florence and wipes it all out again. And Greg said the man told him that after the first hurricane, there was an eagerness and hope. But now after the second one, that hope seemed to be gone. We can somewhat understand that in that difficulty. Sometimes there's, there's hope in life. You know, many people have a great hope and they live life with a sense of hope. But over time, as the storms of life and death come at people, hope can slowly be replaced with complacency and even, at times, with despair and emptiness. Because of the things we tend to put our hope in only to be let down. Perhaps you know uh, in your own life and experience what happens when you hope in something only to be let down. Things people commonly put their hope in are other people, themselves, their health, money, status, sex, positions, the government, race, relationships with others, spirituality, possessions, drugs, alcohol, and the list goes on and on and on. And, and what happens is people put their hope and their hope is dashed and de despair and complacency can set in. But what about this? What about hope in God? What about hope in God? What about the hope for something better than what we have in this life? What about the hope for life after death? What about hope for eternity? Well, the good news is that God not only gives us hope, He gives us a living hope that will never be extinguished and never let you down, and God will always deliver. And because of that, even the shortest chapter in the Bible can become a great source of praise as we praise the Lord repeatedly over and over again because our hope is always in the Lord. I hope you agree with that this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. We're starting today to look at the book of 1 Peter. I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn there with me this morning. 
1 Peter. We spent a few weeks on 2 Peter, but now we're going to start at the beginning of 1 Peter and work our way through. And we're going to find that here in, in the book of 1 Peter in the Bible, what we actually have is a letter. A letter from Peter and a letter of encouragement written to the followers of Jesus Christ. It's a letter of encouragement and hope to those of us that know Jesus as our Savior. But listen, it's also a letter of hope and encouragement to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Because if you find yourself not being a Christian, not being a believer and a follower of Jesus, here is your only hope. It's Jesus. And that hope is available, and we encourage people and call people and compel people to come forward and to trust Jesus as their Savior and to find the living hope that only He gives. You can put your faith and hope in Him. Someone has written that the basic theme of 1 Peter is to live for Jesus in the midst of an ungodly culture and an ungodly society. I, I, I think you might agree with me that it seems like our culture and society is drifting farther and farther away from our Christian founding and from our Christian faith. And it uh, seems like more and more every single day. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we'll look at a couple of Bible verses from 1 Peter dealing with the topic of hope. I've chosen uh, the sermon series title of Living in Hope. Living in Hope because as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great hope. And if we're not careful, we can look around us at what's happening with a hurricane. We can look around us at what's happening with the sports team. We can look around us at what's happening when we put our hope and trust in other people and institutions and government and they let us down. If we're not careful, even as believers, we can take our eyes off of our Lord and put them on things around us and we can find ourselves being discouraged and losing our hope. Here's a couple of Bible verses from 1 Peter. First of all, chapter 1 and verse number 3. I want you to notice the words on the screen, and I want you to read these verses with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read together. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you notice the word hope is, is, is right before it is the word living. It's not a dead hope. It's not a false hope. It is a living hope. Somebody say amen to that this morning? Also, we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. You'll see those words on the screen. I'll invite you to read that with me as well. Ready? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope has an anchor, and that anchor is our Lord and Savior Jesus. Verse 21 of chapter 1. You'll see the words on the screen. Read that with me too also. Your faith and hope are in God, not in one another. Not in the other things we've mentioned. Our faith and hope are only in the Lord. In the last verse, chapter 3, verse number 15. This is a personal challenge to all of us. Would you read these words with me as well? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you have that hope this morning? Is it inside of you this morning? Are you ready to tell somebody else about it? I hope so. And we'll be talking about this as we go forward. Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you for the living hope that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remind us repeatedly of that hope, and may it motivate us, may it spur us forward, may it encourage us in life's most difficult times, and may it, Lord, equip us not only to live in hope, but to share that hope with others so that they too 
may come to know and walk with Jesus our Savior and have the great hope of eternal life through faith in Him as we pray in that name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, please be seated. So, so 1 Peter is a great book of the Bible dealing with the topic of hope. And for the next eight or so weeks, we're going to look at hope in 1 Peter as applied to different areas of our life. Today, we're going to look at the hope we have in salvation. There's no other hope that is as important in our life as our relationship to God through our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. You'll notice in verse number 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1, you have your Bibles open there, uh, verse 9 is a key verse for today which says, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the topic I want to talk to you about today. The outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our soul, which is the great hope that we have that this earth, this world, this culture, this life we're living is not all that there is. There's more. And the best is yet to come. And because of that, we have a hope that will carry us forward even into the difficult times that we face in these days. I want you to notice with me an introduction to First and Second Peter that we find right here at the beginning of chapter 1 of First uh, Peter. And, and several things are important to note because this sets the stage for the whole rest of the book, the study we'll be doing. I want you to notice that 1 Peter was written by Peter. We, th we sometimes think of letters being identified by who they're written to. In the Bible, letters are identified by who they're written from. And so here is a letter written by Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was a follower. He was one of the twelve. He was one of the inner circle of Jesus and, and, and his, uh, with Peter, James, and John. He was one of the leaders of the early Christian church, and, uh, and he was, was faithful to give his life in service for the gospel. There are two letters in our Bible, two books of our Bible, that bear his name, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he's mentioned in others. I want you to notice that 1 and 2 Peter are written to Christians. These are, are letters written to Christians to, to encourage us. They're, they're written to believers. In fact, here in, in the verse 1, Christians are called to, by two things. One is Christians are called the elect. The elect, those who are chosen by God. God has chosen us and we have responded and so we are Christians and we are what the Bible calls elect. But notice also the second word and that is the word exile. And he lists several places where the Christians have been exiled. And, and what's happened here in history is once uh, the New Testament church begins and Christianity begins to spread, there becomes, a, there becomes a persecution by the Romans towards Christianity, especially in Jerusalem, and uh, persecution also by the Jews, and it spreads the Christians out. They begin to disperse to many different places uh, around, uh, around the, the Mediterranean Sea. And so Peter is writing a letter to these believers. This letter is written about salvation. What is it talking about from the beginning to the end? It's talking about our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, how God provides for eternal life for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Also, want you to notice in these first couple of verses, there's a recognition of just who God is and uh, begins to tell us just what God does uh, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice, first of all, uh, God the Father's foreknowledge of salvation is, is displayed right here at the beginning. 
from before the world was ever created, God uh, knew how salvation was going to unfold. He knew how history was going to unfold. He knew the end before the beginning ever began. He, he knew all of that. And it says so, so it talks about his foreknowledge of salvation, his idea, his plan, and his purpose, his sovereignty over all things, the fact that he is the ruler over all. And that gives us great courage and great encouragement to know that whatever is happening in our world, God is in charge. Amen? He is in charge. Notice also in uh, verse 2 there that God the Holy Spirit's uh, sanctification in salvation. It speaks of the Holy Spirit's sanctification. What, that word sanctification, we talk about it from time to time, and, and it's an important word, and basically what it means is as we travel forward in our Christian faith, the Holy Spirit of God encourages us, engages us, equips us, comforts us, strengthens us, gifts us, and gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to live life the way God intends us to live it in communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit's sanctification. And then notice also God the Son. That's Jesus, God the Son's obedience on the cross for our salvation. It speaks there of the sprinkling of His blood. How Jesus, our Savior, died on the cross in our place for our sins that we might be made right with God and experience salvation. We see at the very beginning and all throughout this book of 1 Peter the, the importance of the foundation of our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if, we're, if we don't have salvation uh, nailed down, if we don't have salvation settled in our hearts, all these other areas of hope will be meaningless in our lives. We have to know that we know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So, so let's, let's now look at two things uh, in this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And first of all, I want us to look at God's role in salvation. God's role. I want to read for you verse 3 through verse 9, and uh, we'll come back and talk about some of this. First uh, Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's talk just for a few moments about God's role in salvation. What is it that God does to make this relationship with him Possible, And I want you to notice here, there are, there are eight things at least that are laid out here as far as what God does so that you and I might be rightly related to Him. If you ever wonder, does God love me? 
If you ever wonder, does God care about me? If you ever wonder if you are meaningful in the eyes of God, if you look at what he's done to make things right for you to come to him by faith, then the answer to that question is yes, he certainly does. Let's look at his role here. Eight things. One is, in verse 3, he provides great mercy. He provides great mercy. Mercy is when we do not, we do not receive the punishment that we deserve. That's mercy. You're guilty and you're under judgment, and the penalty is set to be carried out. But when you are, uh, are, are declared uh, free, uh, you are given great mercy because you're guilty and deserving, yet you've been set free. God provides this great mercy. Notice also in verse 3 that God causes us to be born again. Notice it is God who takes the initiative. It is God who causes this thing to happen. And so he causes us to be born again. And notice what to be born again to. It is a hope, but not just a, any hope, but it is a living hope. A living hope. And I want you to notice that there's a great difference here in, in how this hope is applied to us and how this hope works out in our lives. We talked earlier about things we have hope in. We have hope in a sports team. We have hope in uh, someone else to, to provide everything that we need. We have hope in our finances. We have hope in our health that these things somehow, the hope is resting within us or towards something else. But this living hope is a hope that God puts into us. It's from God into us that we might have a hope that leads us to trust him. And that hope is not just a blind hope or a, uh, an empty hope, but it is a living hope because it rests in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has an action. I want you also to notice here God's role in salvation. Thirdly, that he raised Jesus from the dead. How do we know uh, that God is God? How do we know that he is able? How do we know that he is powerful? How do we know that God can deliver on his promises? Because he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There in verse number three, we see that he has indeed raised Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place and for our sins so that we would not have to pay the penalty for them and be separated from God for eternity. Christ died for our sins. A little bit later in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's this resurrection that plays an important piece, an essential piece in our salvation. So believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and on the third day was raised from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. That's what we see over and over again in the Bible. People in the Scriptures can't get away from the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. The earliest proclamation of the church in 1 Corinthians 15 is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if we're not careful, we can get away from that from time to time and lose our hope because we're, we're taking our hope somewhere else besides the living hope that God puts into us because he raised Jesus from the dead. In verse 4, I want you to notice that God provides an inheritance. An inheritance. It's, it's always a difficult thing when somebody that you love that's close to you passes on from this world. 
It might be a, a spouse. It might be a husband or wife. It might be a, a parent. It might be a child. It might be a friend. And when you're close to somebody and you love somebody, it's difficult when that person passes on. One of the blessings that often comes when somebody passes on is that they leave an inheritance. They leave an inheritance so that others might enjoy and take benefit from what they have accumulated. And in verse number 4, it speaks about the fact that God provides for us an inheritance that we receive because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. There's, there's four things that, that describe this inheritance that we see here. The first is, this inheritance is imperishable. Imperishable. It, it, it's not going away. There's nothing that can happen to make heaven go away. Uh, in, in fact, God has, has created a heaven and the earth, and, uh, and, and everything is in His hands, and it's not going anywhere outside of God's command and God's purpose. So, uh, it is imperishable. It is also undefiled, which means it's pure. There's nothing in heaven, there's nothing in the presence of God that, that is sin. A holy God cannot allow sin into his presence in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So heaven is undefiled. It is pure. Thirdly, it is unfading. It's not going away. It's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, the power at my house was out for three days with this hurricane that came blowing through. And, uh, and my power faded away. Thankfully, it's come back now, about just like yours. But, uh, but power can fade away. Looks can fade away. Health can fade away. Money can fade away. Buildings can fade away. All these things can fade away. But listen, uh, our inheritance in heaven is unfading. It is never going away. And then notice this, it is kept in heaven for you. It's there waiting. It's there waiting. When we make our way into glory, make our way into heaven, uh, this great inheritance is waiting there for us. Don't you notice another one of the roles of God in salvation? And that is, He guards us through His power for salvation. Verse number 5. He guards us through His power for salvation. That you and I might have the power we need to be saved and to live as believers and followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just throw the message out there and say, good luck. He doesn't just send people out to proclaim about his name and say, okay, it's now on you. He provides the power to have faith that will lead us into salvation. Verse number seven. I want you to notice that God's role in salvation is this. He reveals Jesus. He will reveal Jesus. The Bible speaks that one day Jesus is coming back to earth. Did you know that? One day he's coming back to earth. There have been those down through history that have speculated. It's going to be on this date, and they were disappointed. It's going to be on this date, and they were disappointed. There are those even now that will say, it's going to be on this date, this date, or this date, and they are sorely disappointed. The Scripture says nobody knows except God himself. But one day he's going to come back, and he's going to reveal Jesus, and Jesus is going to come back to the earth. That's the hope we have, but that's also part of God's plan for salvation. If you notice in verse number 9, uh, God also saves our soul. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. We are saved from the punishment and, and judgment of God upon our lives for our sin. We're saved to eternal life with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, where we will have uh, His presence forever and ever and ever. That is how we are saved. Romans 10 and verse number 13, many of you know this verse well. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody, red, yellow, black, white, old, young, rich, poor, American, Mexican, Chinese, Russian, English, whoever you happen to be, 
anybody, anywhere, anytime who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that exciting to know that salvation reaches even you and even to me and even to anyone out in the world? I want you to notice also the last one here. God's role in salvation is that he, he provided advance notice through his Holy Spirit to the prophets. Verses 10 to 12. He provided advance notice that one day all these things are going to take place uh, and, and, uh, and, will, and will, uh, will come about just as he said. He identified the person of Christ, the time uh, of the glories of Christ, the time of the sufferings of Christ. Let me give you just two quick examples. In Isaiah chapter 49 and verse number 6, some 700 years before Jesus came to the earth, 700 years in advance while talking about the coming Messiah, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to say this, I will make you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So long before Jesus came, God was already laying the groundwork and letting us know that salvation is for every person, everywhere, every time. In Isaiah chapter 53 through 56, we see the picture of the suffering servant, that when God was going to send uh, his Savior into the world, to, that his name might be glorious and spread across the ends of the earth to all possible people. Even in the midst of that, God says, 700 years in advance, he will suffer on behalf of the people and he'll be put to death for our sake. Salvation is kind of like this. This is not a great example, but it's kind of like this. You and I are on a burning ship and because of the mistakes we've made, we're sinking and the ship around us is burning and we have no hope whatsoever. But all of a sudden, someone, because they love us, paid the price and provided the resources to send a rescue. A helicopter comes overhead and, and a ladder drops down so, so that our rescue is secure. It's been paid for, it's been bought, it's been provided by somebody outside of who we are. All we have to do is grab a hold of that lifeline. All we have to do is latch on to that lifeline and we will be saved and delivered from the terrible situation that we're in and we will be set free. All we have to do is hold on to that lifeline. In the same way, we're burning and going down on the sinking ship because of our sins. And God sent that lifeline through Jesus Christ, who came into the world, who died in our place, was buried and raised on the third day. And it is by that lifeline that we have the opportunity to escape from the judgment of God and the punishment of God. And all we have to do is take that lifeline. There's no other way available, there's no other way that's necessary, and it's available to every single one of us. God provides for salvation for all who will believe. Isn't that good news today? Amen. I want you secondly to notice that my role in salvation is not just God's role, but, but my role. What do I have to do? To be saved? What do I have to, to, to do to, to be right with God? What do I have to do in order to, 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 to escape that burning boat, so to speak, and, to, and to, 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 to be in God's presence? What is it that I have to do? Basically, we see this in verses 5 to 8, and it is simply this, to believe and receive. You see, God has provided everything. God has provided what, what, what only He could provide because there's nothing that we can provide in any way to make us right with God. There's nothing that, that we could ever do in order to be right with God. I want you to notice in verses 5 to 8 what my role is in salvation. First of all, in verse 5, I have to have faith for salvation. 
belief. I just have to believe it. That, that the gospel is true. That, that God does love me so much that Jesus did come and pay the penalty for my sins. And that I can have now a hope that will change my life. Dr. Mills was talking just a few minutes ago about what happens at the rescue mission. When, when, when people who are addicted and people at their wits end and the, and the end of their rope, when the, the, the difference that happens in their life when Jesus comes in. But listen, Pastor Mills, you'd say the same thing. You don't have to get to the end of your rope to realize the end is coming and the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And so that's faith for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, We're saved by grace, God's grace, through faith. Simply believing. F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust Him. There's no other way available, no other way that's needed. Secondly, my role in salvation, verse number 6, is to rejoice in my salvation. To rejoice, to, to be, to be de delighted and excited and allow the fact that I am saved to lighten my step and to carry me through. Jesus said in Luke 10 and verse 20, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When we are rightly related to God, it, it brings the availability of God's joy to us so that we can be right with him, so that we can live our lives according to his purpose and live our lives for his glory. Let's also notice my role in salvation. I'm not excited about this one, but I've come to understand it. And that is, my role is to endure various trials. To be grieved at times in life by various trials that may come my way. The difficulties in life, for some reason, somehow, in some way, are used by God in my salvation to cause me to trust in Him more and trust in myself and this world less. And so we see that that there are various trials that come our way, and, and, and they're not pleasant, they're not desirable, but they can become great blessings of God if we allow them. What are the trials that we face? Sometimes they're, they're trials of temptation. The temptation to lie. The temptation to steal. The temptation to cheat. The temptation to compromise. The temptation to, to compromise in areas of our morals or our character or even sometimes in our behavior. And to recognize that, that, that we can turn away from our faith in God and give in to temptation. Sometimes we're grieved by these kinds of trials. Sometimes there's the trials of persecution for our faith. Studies show and, and ministries that do research report back to us that there's more persecution for Christian faith today than any other time in history. And while we may not see it directly right around us, all around our world, people are paying a great price for simply having faith in our Lord Jesus. That can be a, a trial. That can, can lead to great sources of grief, but it can also lead to great faith. There's also crises of, of health and relationships. There are finances. There are false accusations. There are over and over again any number of different ways you and I can be tested and, and grieved uh, in our faith by the circumstances that surround us. And in that, we're still called to have a hope and a faith in Christ that leads us to rejoice because it is in those times of grief and testing that the genuineness of our faith comes and shines forth. He gives the example of gold in here. Gold being tested by fire. If you're that gold, you're really not excited about the fire. It's going to melt you down, but all the impurities are going to be heated out. And in the same way, the trials that we go through in life, the griefs that you and I face, they serve to, 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 to rise up all the impurities, and God removes them out. And what's left is the shining gold that, that, that is a demonstration of His salvation in our lives. 
we endure. Another role we have in salvation is to give praise and glory and honor to Jesus. We've been saved. We just need to let people know about it. We've, we've been saved. It ought to make a difference in our lives. Now, some people get a little uncomfortable doing this. I'm, I, I recognize that. And if you, you, you may or may not want to participate, but that's fine. Would, would you take a second, just raise your right hand about halfway up. All right, raise your right hand and say, praise the Lord. Okay, that's a good job. Good job. Now, if, if you're not too uncomfortable, take your left hand, raise it up about halfway as well, and, uh, and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, now, if you feel a little, if you're okay with that, raise it just a little bit higher, and this time we're going to say, praise the Lord. I want, you to, I want you to wave your hands, okay? Ready? One, two, three, go. Praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. All right, now, here, here's, here's, here's a little hard, a little, little step farther. I've got to get my coat right here. Raise my hands up, and, and there's different ways to raise your hands. I know that. One of the ways I like to raise my hands is to raise them with my palms reaching up and looking up and, and, and give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's done for us. So when I say three, I'm going to say glory to your name. Ready? One, two, three. Glory to your name. So, so we're, that, that, that's just an outward uh, sign, and that's fine, but it ought to come from an inward spirit that says, I want to give praise and glory and honor to my Lord for all that he's done for me. That's part of my role in the fact that I have been saved. Amen. I'm not called just to, to get saved and tuck it away in my heart and never let it impact my life again. I'm called, verse 7, to give praise and glory and honor. In verse number 8, it talks about the fact we don't see him. We don't see him right now. He's not visible with our eyes. We can't look out and see. We can't take our hands and touch our Lord Jesus Christ. But three things are true that even though we can't see him, verse 8, we love him. We love him. And we express our love to him when we pray. We express our love to him when we praise him. We express our love to Him when we sing the great songs of the faith. We express our, our, our love for Him when we live according to His Word. We express our love for Him when we come together with other believers to worship Him. We, we express our love. Also, though we don't see Him, verse 8, we believe in Him. We believe in Him even though we don't see Him. We're reminded of the words of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6, where it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you can see it and touch it, it's not faith. Verse number 6 of Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. Faith to believe. And then, thirdly, though we don't see Him, we rejoice with an inexpressible joy. We can't out adequately express it. Have you, have you, ever, you ever been so excited uh, that, that you, just, you just clap your hands? You done, we've all done that, right? So excited, you just, just shake your fists up in the air. So excited, you just praise the Lord. And in any number of different ways, we might outwardly express our love, our joy, our, our glory, our worship, any number of ways to do that. And those things are fine. But understand something. That there is an inexpressible joy that comes to us when we know Jesus as Savior. That we can't put it into words and we can't even put it into action. But, but as much as we may be able to do it outwardly, it doesn't even begin to express what's going on inwardly because of all that Jesus has done for us. An inexpressible joy. Another thing that happens, my role in salvation 
is to be filled with His glory. Verse number 8 talks about that, a life change. Sanctification, we talked about the Holy Spirit, sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ. There should be a, a glory of Christ reflected in my life. Man, when I go to work, people ought to be able to see Jesus makes a difference in my job. When, when, I'm, when, when I'm in my house, uh, people that in my home ought to be able to see Jesus makes a difference in my life. When I go shopping at Food Line or Walmart, we ought to be able to see Jesus makes a difference in my life. I met somebody at Chick-fil-A yesterday. I was talking to a friend, and, and, I, and, I, and one of his friends were there and was talking about disaster relief. And people from Kentucky had come to North Carolina to volunteer for disaster relief and just talking about how, how much it had changed. Jesus had changed these men in Kentucky's lives so much they're willing to come to, to minister to people they don't even know in North Carolina. Because, see, it makes a difference in our life when we're filled with His glory and it shines outwardly because it's present inwardly. And then lastly here, my role in salvation is simply to obtain the outcome of my faith, which is the salvation of my soul. If, if you notice, the, the, the two roles of salvation are vastly different. God's role is to provide everything that is needed, to pay all the cost, all the expense, go to all the trouble and all the difficulty through Jesus. God takes care of all those things. My role in salvation is to believe it, to receive it, and to act like it's true in my life. It is that simple. I can't do anything else. God doesn't require anything else. But often the things that I am called to do to reflect His glory, to worship Him, to live for Him, and allow other people just simply to see the glory and the joy that the Lord puts in my heart as a believer and a follower of Christ. Sometimes for some reason, I, I get discouraged or I get distracted. I get my eyes on things of the world. My hope gets dashed because I'm putting it somewhere else. And the real hope of my life gets buried down on the inside. And if I'm not careful, people will look at me and not even know that Jesus has made a difference. And so our call today, our challenge today, is to be thankful for what God has provided to us and to, and to express our hope in Him by how we respond in, inwardly and outwardly as we live our lives. I want to invite you right where you are, just to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing our, our hymn of invitation. We're going to invite you to respond where you are. Or maybe come down this aisle. I'll be happy to pray with you and talk with you here. And as we do those things, our hope, the challenge, is that we might know that hope, and if never before, even today, to receive that hope through faith in Jesus. We will be here available looking for what God is going to do. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that even though we have no hope outside of Christ, with Christ we have all hope. Because of that, we thank you and we praise your name. We ask you to be with us now as we begin this study of the book of 1 Peter to recognize who you are, to recognize what you've done, and to recognize all we have to do. The only thing we can do is to believe it, to receive it, and then to reflect it in our lives. May it ever be so, Lord Jesus. And I pray today, asking that if anyone be here today that's never trusted Christ, even now, they cry out in their hearts, Oh God, save me. I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus and all that He's done on the cross, that He was buried, that He was raised again on the third day for my sins and for my salvation. I receive it, Lord, even now. Lord, be with us during this time and all times. In Jesus' name, amen.